Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast with me, Stu Whiffin. I hope you are doing very well today. Um, it's a new episode and today's guest is Miss Rowena Alice. I'd met Row once before when she guested on the Hardcore Listing podcast and since then um, we've, we've stayed in touch on the social media and stuff and uh, she's been very supportive of of this podcast and Hardcore Listing and the response we had to her guesting on Hardcore Listing was so good uh, that as soon as I launched this podcast I knew that, that, that Row was going to be one of the people that I was going to hit up and find out all about her creative journey and uh, and I certainly don't regret that and I know you're going to enjoy this. So before I drop the intro music and get straight to it, um, a big thank you to the uh, Hoxton Square Bar and Kitchen for letting us record there and thanks to everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, thanks to the the boss man himself, Scroobius Pip, for supporting this podcast. Thanks to you lot for supporting this podcast. And a, a big thanks to 76 for producing Brad Acton and My Name Is Ad for video and artwork stuff. Let's get on with it. It's off the beat and track podcast with Rowena Alice. 76, drop that beat. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've made stew with him. Shall we just start? Go for it. Let's do it. Right, so good morning. It's uh, it's 9.30am. That, that sounded really Alan Partridge there, <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's 9.30am, which is the earliest I think I've ever recorded anything. And... I got up at 6am this morning because this is, this is episode one of, of five that I'm going to record today. And, uh, and so I've come into ACAST. They've kindly let me use their studio today in East London. So I was up on the train early this morning, but I've had a coffee and uh, and a ray of sunshine has walked <laughs> into the studio. And uh, it's today's guest, which is Rowena Ellis. Hello. You all right? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I also was up at six and I have coffee too. So I think that's going to... Help us get through our partridge-isms you've, today. You, you've gone Pret. So yeah, that's... it's the first one I walked past. I was like, yeah, that'll do. Because I, I ended up, I'm, I'm no coffee connoisseur, but I went to this this kind of small vegan place around the corner and just said, could I have a black coffee, please? 
And they said, Americano, oh, we've got filter. And I was thinking, oh, no, they're starting to ask me questions and I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with this. I went, can I just have a filter coffee, please? And then he started breaking down beans and I was thinking, oh, man. Was it like that advert with McDonald's where Completely someone's that. asking for Completely a flat white? And, and then he was going, these are from Costa Rica. And I just thought, I'm sure that's where Maxwell House is from. I was like, yeah, that's fine. And he went, right, there you go. And I just thought, right, is this going to cost me about 11 quid now? Anyway, that's two pound. I went, oh, lovely. So, uh, it's a bit yeah. dinky though. It's a tiny coffee. It is coffee. small, yeah, and it's and, and there's only about half full as well. But uh, yeah, it was full of cool people in there, and I, I was definitely the oldest man in there as well. It's but... fancy coffee. It's fine. It's exactly. got you ready for Shoreditch recording. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> right. So, what I'll say now to everyone is, if you want to go and listen to the tracks that Roe picks for this podcast. There will be a, an accompanying Spotify playlist with all the songs on there, so you can go and have a little listen, because obviously we can't always play the tracks on the podcast due to licensing <laughs> nonsense and all of that. Damn PRS. Yeah, damn them. <laughs> right, so let's go straight into it. So yeah. track one, uh, I ask you to give me the song with the greatest intro ever. Yes. <laughs> so your answer to that was... Do you want me to say? Yeah, go for yeah. it. You go introduce your songs. So it's the subways with girls and boys. And when you were asking me on this show, I was like, I'm going to have to throw my husband's band in there. <laughs> I'm going to have to. And as soon as you asked me that question, the yeah. first song that came to mind for me was Girls and Boys. Right. Because it's got an intro of about just over a minute before they start going into the vocals. It's yeah. like a song within itself. And it was a real turning point for the band, they'd gone and recorded in LA with Butch Vig. It was around the start of mine and Biddy's relationship with their al- their second album, All or Nothing. And it was, you know, you just didn't expect these three kids, really. They're all in their early 20s at that point from Hertfordshire to make this kind of racket. Yeah. And they did. And it was the intro to the album as well as being a great intro yeah. for a song. And it just blew me away when he first played it to me. And I heard the recorded version before it had been mastered, he sent it over to me to try. At the time, he was very much listening to masters wherever he could. So whether it was in my mum's car driving around or on different stereos in the house in different rooms, it was also that when they went back to LA again to perfect things, he knew how it would be. And it just, every time I heard it, it still gave me sort of, it gave me shivers. And it's... It's, I just absolutely love it with the build-ups. It's got his guitar that's sort of twinkly to begin yeah. with. Then you start having the drum and the bass comes in. Yeah. Then it speeds up. It gets a bit raucous. And then you think, oh, okay, that's it. They've amped it up enough. And then they just go all out riffage. And yeah. if you see them play on stage, the way their hands move, and they play it exactly the same live yeah. as they do on the recording because, yeah. you know, they're known as being a live band probably over being a recorded band. Definitely. And every time I sort of see them do it and these circle pits form every time they play yeah. the intro to Girls and Boys, everyone knows what it is. Every yeah. time Billy does the little sort of first guitar line, he slows it down to really sort of edge people in. And it was also the first single off All or Nothing that they released. They did it for free. They filmed it, the video in the Stoke Sugar Mill. And it was like, we're back. 
and it had been a tough time for them. Obviously, Billy had been through a relationship breakdown during the recording and we'd become close as well. Um, but I just love it because I've seen them from the beginning. Charlotte, yeah. the bassist, was at my school in Leventhorpe in Silverdress. Well, we'll get on. We'll definitely get on to school later. Yeah, because I, I, I want to. And uh, go into so that. I knew her because she was in the same year as my sister. So I'd seen them play at uh, local venues and at my school when they were under their names like Platypus and Mustard Seed and all those other horrendous names they had. And, platypus. Um, platypus. That's yeah. Really bad. It is bad, isn't it? You can tell that was where he was very influenced by sort of grunge and Nirvana yeah. at that time. Um, but yeah, it's just, I still, every time I go to listen to that album and that song kicks in, I'm just reminded what a phenomenal sort of sophomore effort it was for them. And I'm very proud of him for it. And so obviously it was a huge impact. It was a turning point in my life as well because obviously we're still together. Yeah. It's a, 10 years old, I think it was yeah. released was it 2007, 2008? So, yeah, around 10 or 11 years old now. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So, aside from your husband's band... Yes. Which are, you, you've got that out of the way now, right? Yeah. So you can relax I now. Can. You, you've plugged you've plugged, I've plugged him. I have to. <laughs> it's the law. <laughs> um, was there any other considerations if you had to look elsewhere? There was, and it was very much the... Well, first of all... In contention was the second track I chose. So obviously, for the second question you gave me, we'll right, go of into course, that in a minute. Course, yeah, we'll explain why in a minute. But there was also Michael Jackson's Thriller. Okay. And because of the fact it's got this build-up of the Foley um, movie sound effects creaking up, yeah. and then you start having the build-up, and then suddenly it's like, it's just legendary and. I went to an exhibition the other day um, on Michael Jackson at the National Portrait Gallery. Is that on still? Yeah, and it was absolutely, like, crazy good. It's amazing. So it's all these uh, contemporary artists that have been influenced by Michael Jackson. So it's just all these pieces of work, and some of it's very abstract. Some of it is kind of traditional when you look at it from a pop-art perspective with um, Andy Warhol. Um, with all these prints of him. But it was such an interesting look into, like, the king of pop. And yeah. obviously he was quite a divisive character as well because we know certain aspects that were alleged against mm -hmm. him. But you can't deny that he was such a talent and there's going to be no one else like him. If I ever had to sit and do my seven songs, mm. greatest intro, don't stop till you get enough, I think. That is definitely, that was another one I was considering. As soon as well. you hear that, well, you've got the edit where it just goes, woo, goes straight in. I love the build up where he's talking. Or you've talking got underneath. that one, yeah. the full version. <laughs> and like, but I think the minute that woo goes and the strings kick, kick in, in, and like, how can you not dance to that? I tend to start all my disco sets with it. It's the best. It has it's to. the best. It's so infectious. And I mean, I'm a monster Michael Jackson fan. I just think, you know, those first. Three albums, mm. you know, were just ridiculous. And uh, I, ju I just think production, everything about it is just, is just key. So, and, and obviously, you're a DJ, uh, and so intros... 
are quite important. Cool yeah. Cool and I think that's a great one, especially when you start with the talking version. When I first come into the yeah. onto the decks, it's great having one with a long intro to yeah. get people really warmed up to yeah. know that I'm going to be going into disco. And disco's amazing for mixing because they tend to fade out quite yeah. a bit at the end and obviously have long intros. Uh, so it's just, it's perfect. And yeah, that's definitely another one. I See, I could just do so many. I was also tempted by Smashing Pumpkins as well. Which one? Uh, Cherub Rock. Oh. <laughs> Come on. Mm. That was another amazing one. But unfortunately, Billy Corgan's proven himself again also to be a little bit of a yeah. weirdo, hasn't he? I listened to him. Did you listen to him on Joe Rogan? No. That's an interesting chat. Uh, on uh, like Corgan on, on Joe Rogan's podcast. That's, yeah, he's... It's really weird. Have you, you, you've seen Pumpkins? Yeah. Like, I saw them, like, when Gish come out. Oh, that, I haven't been able to see them like that, because obviously I loved them when they had sort of Darcy Retsky on bass, but right. I was too young back then, yeah, obviously, yeah. to be able to I, go and see Billy them. Billy had hair when I see him. Like, <laughs> like, that's how long ago it was. Back. Yeah. Supported by, before they were the Verve, Verve, who blew them off stage as well. Like wow. It was like when Richard Ashcroft was known as Mad Richard, and he, he was just... <laughs> No shoes and socks on, just barefoot. And he was, I mean, the music was pretty psychedelic, that first album. And it was, oh, it was a decent gig, that was. Yeah. Pumpkins, spotted by the Verve. Amazing. Verve. And, uh, but, yeah, stuff like Iron One and things like that, hearing that, lad. And they were lad pumpkins as well. But, hang on, had the second album come out when I seen them? No, I'm sure it was just Gish. I'm sure it was just Gish. Yeah. But, uh, they definitely refined themselves with Siamese Dream, yeah. I think. And that was that album's almost flawless. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Standout track for you on that? Um oh, see I love Quiet as well. Mm, it probably has to be Cherub Rock. Really? Yeah. I'm going Mayonnaise, I think. I really like Mayonnaise, I think that's good. But I think I've just rinsed today in the clubs for so so long now that like It's almost kind of... been sort of uh, reassociated with so many of these epic movie moments yeah. now as well, and I think people start feeling it loses that spark yeah. of originality and grunge when it's been used a yeah. lot. And whilst people still love it, and as soon as I play that song again, I'm reminded by yeah. again, it can have a real pack and emotional punch, can't mm. it? Especially with the lyrics. Um, it's an amazing song, but it's such a shame when stuff does become overplayed and people get a little tired of it. Yeah. And, Obviously, my second choice that we'll come to in a little bit is kind of similar, but I think gets away with it a little bit more. Well, let, let's let's get on to that then. Let, let's while, while we're talking about it, it seems like it makes sense to to move on to your second track, which is the first song that you remember having an emotional impact on you, and that can be any emotion, mode. That can either mm. be like joy, sadness, yeah. you know, what, what, whatever you want it to be, and so. Do you want to introduce your second track? Yeah, so I chose Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. And there's quite a backstory to this. So when I was six, uh, my dad left us. Uh, he had an affair with my mum's best friend That's and nice. walked out, which was charming, wasn't it? So as you can imagine, I don't really hold him in 
great esteem. Um, so I don't mind having a little bitch and a moan about him on here. So was you aware of that emotion? I was, yeah. I knew and understood my parents are very honest about it. Because obviously we had to explain why I was then going to see him with my mum's best friend at the time. So, oh, shit. Yeah, so which was quite difficult. And it's only when I look at kids now I realise how young it was. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I was a baby when it yeah. happened. And my sister was nine when it happened. And um, we went through, like, a few tumultuous years, actually, with sort of him battling with my mum. It wasn't a a good breakup. You know, you see a lot of parents where they're still in contact, but that wasn't the case with mine. Saw my dad off and on, like, every other weekend. It just became very difficult for me I started acting out a lot on the Fridays I knew I was going over I used to be the closest to my dad I was very much the dad's girl and my sister was my mum's sort of child you know what mm-hmm. I mean yeah and um and it was difficult because I didn't understand why he did this and at such a young age when I was going um sort of building up to being around 10 I think we stopped seeing him when I was nine. Oh, really yeah uh that was the last time I remember the last time I ever saw him um was that a decision that you'd spoke yeah, to your mum about? Yeah, I remember didn't... I was there overnight. My sister had already stopped going. She was a bit older. And my dad very much put a lot of blame on my mum for things, which we were just like, obviously, the older we got, the more we understood how unfair that was. And so I was having a really tough time with things. I remember actively saying to my mum on the phone from my dad's when he was, they had guests over. I said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, I don't want to see him anymore. And... Because it wasn't nice. He wasn't pleasant when we were there. Because, you know, we don't want, like, our mum bitched about and stuff. And obviously I won't go into too much detail mm. with what it was like. There was even, like, an escaped attempt with my sister and I on little bikes. And we rode in Gloucestershire. We rode over to see if we could get back to my mum's. But, you know, it wasn't a cruel person or anything. He just obviously compartmentalised the breakup. And I think by sort of attacking my mum and sort of being quite cold, it made it easier for what he'd done. Yeah with moving on with someone else. And um, I remember my uncle gave me this cassette tape and I sort of heard a little bit of sort of rock and roll. Obviously, my mum was a little sort of into it. She was very much at the time he left, was listening to What's the Story, Morning Glory. And so that obviously I very much enjoyed and I link back to that time. So this is mid-90s, right? Yeah. But my uncle then gave me this cassette tape, which turned out to be Nevermind on it and he because he became like the primary role model as a male to me yeah. then after my dad left and I remember he goes just listen to this just listen to it you'll you'll really enjoy it press play on it and in kicks smells like teen spirit and it was one of the most visceral experiences I'd ever had I didn't know noise like this could be made you know and then when he's like snarling here we are now like entertain us I was just like it was very cathartic and it completely changed my view and opinion of what music could be like. And how old were you then, I was probably about eight, eight or nine. So, yeah, it was a... That set me on a path, really, of what I wanted to then listen to. I was like, oh, I didn't know this could be made. Sort of the melody, the power from the vocals. I'd never really experienced that before. And I really found that I connected to it on an emotional level with... You know, this talking about sort of troubled youth in this song. And I was like, that's it. This is the kind of music I love. It speaks to me. And it set me on the path of music as, now. Insofar as what? Sort of anger and 
passion, really. Passion, yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing. Because obviously I was very... I wasn't necessarily an angry child, but obviously... I still had enough awareness of what had happened to me at that time. And my mum still says to me that she, because she went for counselling, my sister went for counselling, but at the time they deemed I was too young to do it. They thought it wouldn't have that kind of impact on me or it wouldn't be useful, but she still says she kind of wished she had. So I found sort of creative outlets, like watching films, watching TV, listening to music. That's a distraction. Became a distraction. It did. It did. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think obviously a lot of people find comfort in making their own music. So absolutely, I think create. You know, if you're a creative person, I think that's. You know, I don't want to glamorise it, but I think, you know, you can generally churn out some of your best stuff when you're pissed off and yeah, sad. Do you know absolutely. what I mean? Um, it's an outlet. Yeah. And people need that. Creative people do need that. Yeah. And it always has been for me. And that's why yeah. I'm sort of really excited to do this podcast because a lot of them are linked to these yeah. memories. I have such a vivid image in my head that comes when I say or listen to certain songs. So to go back then mm. around this time, where, where was this? Where was you born? Uh, Birmingham Way. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, so hence why when you asked for a track from the home county, it's yeah. West Midlands. Uh, uh, do you know what? I was thinking, <laughs> for some reason, I presumed you were from Harlow Way. And... No, no, I spent a lot of my teenage years Yeah, there. We moved to Hertfordshire when I was 10. Right. Yeah, my mum got a new job and yeah. we up sticks and moved over this way. But yeah, yeah I was originally... Midlands direction. You can't right. really tell with my voice. I've not really got much of an accent because obviously I had a Midlands accent then. I then spent a lot of time around Harlow Way and Essex. So I think the two have fused to a yeah. bit of a nothingness accent, really. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, I guess pre your 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 dad leaving and, and, and post that, mm. was, was there music on at home? Yeah, there were a little bit. So obviously it was very much uh, the pop music of the time, such as Spice Girls. Obviously, yeah. uh, we listened to... Um, I, I remember my mum listening to a lot of Britpop. She also loved her disco, which is why I still mm-hmm. like doing disco DJ sets. Um, Michael Jackson, obviously. Uh, she also liked Carole King, Carpenters. Mm-hmm. Um, but she loved a bit of pop as well. So I had quite an eclectic... Um, taste growing up and I was still really forming my way and I knew that I was enjoying guitars and rock music but I also like my pop and I still do and I, I think like I, I'm on exactly the same page with you there Rowan I think it's them, them early years and you know for me growing up in the 80s mm. which when you know when there was some incredible pop music yeah. out there I think that kind of introduction to music in, in its simplest form of infectious choruses, hook lines. Yeah. And and I think that puts you in good stead, that kind of them pop sensibilities that you grow up with. You know, I, I think that's... Well, because really some of the best rock songs are ones that have got a nice structure that's sort of verse, chorus, verse. Never mind if the best pop record ever yeah, made. Because exactly. Because it's every single song is hooky as fuck. Yeah. Everything's got hook lines, massive choruses, and it's just well-structured pop songs, you know? I think... You know, when you look at some of the stuff that I guess Kurt was listening to around there, I mean, Kurt famously loved ABBA, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I, I guess some serious pop sensibilities there, right? <laughs> well, that's the thing. He wasn't ashamed of that. And when people spoke to him, again, he was always an advocate of this sort of 
anti-rock and roll thing and the fact everyone's like oh you have to just be into this or love this but he was always so supportive of bands like Bikini Kill and yeah. Marine Girls who actually I've ended up living down the road to one oh, of really? them yeah which is amazing and all these underground acts or sort of slightly poppy things he wasn't ashamed to say that yeah. he was into that you know he used to love REM yeah and a lot of people would be like oh you can't say REM's like my favorite band yeah but he knew when a song was good and he wasn't ashamed yeah. to say it or if there's, he was influenced by it. There's rumours that there's a, an album out there of, um, of him and Stipe. Mm. Man, I'd like to hear that. That'd be amazing like, fusion, wouldn't it? I do think... Because isn't he the godfather to yeah, Francis Bean? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I think up until maybe up, I think R.E.M. were one of the most prolific bands of all time. I think I they're, they're incredible. And, uh, yeah. They've never been seen as cool, though. It's like everyone loves them. Yeah. But no one goes, yeah, R.E.M., my favourite band. See, <laughs> I, for, I reckon for about 10 years I did say that. Oh, really? They, they were my favourite band, yeah. I think, obviously, I'm, I'm you know, shitloads older than you, Rose. So it was like <laughs> in 19, sort of 89, 91, when, when Green come out, and then when Out of Time come out and, you you know, Lose My Religion drops. And I know. It was like, man, this band is like... Because they were just this college rock band that put out eight, nine albums and then they just signed the Warner and then all of a sudden this incredible stuff was being put out, mm. you know, with like... And I think, you know, by the time Automatic for the People come mm. out, they were probably bigger than you two at that point. Yeah, you know? I think so. Uh, uh, but, yeah... And then his hair fell out and he weren't quite as good. I, feel, I worry about that. <laughs> it was a bit that. like Samson Delilah. He it lost is. his hair it's and he lost his confidence. To Corgan, you know, prolific till his hair fell out. James, it was exactly the same. <laughs> I remember loving James and then all of a sudden his hair fell out and I was like, he's just not working anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go male pattern baldness is it the is, downfall of I, rock I and roll just, when, when I had a little thinny bit at the back of my hair and I just thought right I could never be in another band again now I have to start podcasting <laughs> so all you right. just see all these like balding podcasters <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant alright so let's um let's move on to track three um, yeah. which is a song that I haven't heard for so long and when you said that I thought shit I need to dig that out um I asked you to choose the song that reminds you of your school days. Yeah. And so I imagine this is secondary school. It is, yeah. Okay. <laughs> when I was 14. Fantastic. Do you want me to say what it is? Always, always. <laughs> okay. So this song is Dogs Die in Hot Cars. That's a really well-known Scottish indie band of the time with their song I Love You Because I Have To. And this is from the age-old tale of teenage heartbreak. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, just quickly, one of the greatest names for a band ever. I know, isn't it? <laughs> just such a decent... They should have been bigger than they yeah. were, I think. I was listening, obviously, I was struggling with this one, so I went to go and nearly choose an album and a song by Distillers. Mm -hmm. So I listened to Coral Fang religiously mm -hmm. when it came out in 2003 when I was 13. But I very much reassociated it because I still listen to it now. Yeah. Whereas Dogs Die in Hot Cars and I Love You Because I Have To usually just comes up on a bit of a mixtape or yeah. a mix playlist that I've made. And it suddenly comes up because I haven't listened to it in ages. And I'm suddenly taken back to the moment I first heard this song. Yeah. And I was at school... And there was this boy that I was just 
absolutely sort of head over heels for it was that like I said I was 14 so it's when you're sort of on the cusp of starting to really find out what sort of teenage love is and sort of infatuation and uh, luckily the kids are loser now so this story ends happily it's all good and obviously I'm married to a rock star so I'm fine (laughs) it's all good but at the time I really really liked this boy in my friendship group we were very much Sort of the secluded Grebos is what we were called. We okay. all hung around at the music block, and I was very much with a lot of the boys again who played sort of guitars and stuff, which is great quite name fun. for a band, secluded Grebos. I know. Maybe that's what we should we should start a new band. <laughs> I can't. I've got a ball patch there. <laughs> I think I've got enough hair just at the moment for both of us. Um, and uh, I really, really start obviously because you were just spending a lot of time with someone I just started really like fancying the pants off this boy and we became close we spent a lot of time together and um I knew that he was going to be at this gig at the square in Harlow and they used to be good they used to sneak us in like when we went there quite a bit and I did things called rock school as well so I was we went there and volunteers who very much frequented the square would then help out and make us like form little bands with other Mm -hmm. people that were there it was fantastic it's amazing I'm heartbroken that the square doesn't exist anymore yeah and um so they'd let us in even though obviously I'm under 16 and that was meant to be the age on the door and I got there and I was hoping after being away with my family to a break to Scotland over the weekend it was a bit of a long weekend holiday I got my mum to drive me over there when I just got back And I was hoping that I'd be able to sort of see and move stuff further along with this boy, even though I felt a bit awkward. Uh, Again, sort of quite a shy teenager who's into like rock and roll music. And um, when I was there, it was like a movie moment. I turned around, he was there with another girl. And uh, he was kissing this other girl that I didn't know who she was. And this song was playing. And it's burnt in my memory where I was exactly where I was placed in the square. I sat side of stage and I saw him getting off with this other girl. And um, I just, I became obsessed with this song because it just reminded me of it, of this moment. And it just felt very relevant at the time as well. Because obviously you probably don't really know what love is at that age. You don't have enough experience of it. But I felt heartbroken. It is... is Love in its form at that point, it is. though, right? It is. You know, if you try and tell someone at that age that, oh, don't worry about it. Well, it's only it's, a few years later I was with right? Billy. Yeah. You know, and I then spent ages, this was like before we had things like Shazam where you could listen yeah. to it. So I was Googling and trying to find the lyrics to this song. And then, like, obviously, I don't illegally download anymore. But at the time when you didn't have any money, you had things like LimeWire, yeah. which was there. So when I found the song, I downloaded it onto my little sort of like MP3 player at the time, which was fit about like 10 songs. Yeah. On, do you remember way back then? God, we're so lucky now. Kids, they ha- don't know they're born. <laughs> and I'm only 28 and I still feel like that. And um, I just had it on repeat in like my classes. I had this little trick because the MP3 player was so small. I put it into my blazer pocket on the inside and I had very long hair at the time. And a big fringe, I very much hid my face behind things. And I snuck the headphone up behind my blazer, over my ear and into my... So during lessons, I was listening to music instead of actually focusing. I was Luckily, I was okay. I was in sort of set ones for stuff. So I kind of could absorb it and I did well enough anyway. Um, 
And so spent a lot of time through my heartbreak listening to this song. I was almost torturing myself by listening to it because it reminded me of this moment. But it felt like I needed to ingrain this time on my brain so I could look back on it and remember it in the future and be like, that's what happened. That's that teen angst, right? You want you, yeah. you kind of... Because I guess it's the first time you're experiencing them emotions. Yeah. You, you kind of want to wallow in them a little bit as well, right? Absolutely. Um, and indulge yourself. I yeah. think you feel that you're allowed to. And you just, at that time, you just feel like there's never going to be anything else. Of course. And it's not going to get better. And it's a school life, you're in this little bubble where you feel like you're going to know all these people forever. And I'm still really close friends with one of the boys, actually, that I used to hang around in that group with. And... Um, I still see this other boy, yeah. like, every now and then as well. But like I said, he's not gone in a great direction. Yeah. So it was no real loss for me at the time. So, I mean, what we should point out at this this point is, obviously, you can go and listen to these songs on, on, on Spotify, on, on Rose Playlist. But for anyone that's thinking this is some sort of sombre... <laughs> it's not really. You know, heart-wrenching. It's sort of almost... It's got a lot of scar upstroke it to it, hasn't it? It's but then like... it's, I think it's also in the minor key as well when yeah. they're singing, which kind of adds to the sadness a yeah. little bit. But I think it's more the lyrics and the juxtaposition of it being over this scar yeah. rhythm, scar yeah. indie, um, that it just really stood out to me compared to what yeah. everything else, like everything else the DJ was playing at the time. Yeah. But it was just the poignancy of the lyrics yeah. when I was experiencing what I was seeing and hearing this. And again, it just shows the importance with memory and visual memory yeah. with triggers. Because again, as soon as I listen to this song, I'm taken straight back. Yeah. And that's why I chose this one because it reminds me of my school years and a schoolboy that I used to think I was in love with. Well, aside from that, heart-wrenching misery <laughs> moment did you enjoy school um it was an experience I became fairly disillusioned with school you know again I, was, I did well with it I did extremely well in my GCSEs for someone who did dick all work really are you so one was, of them people I was one of those people oh, so I'm afraid I know I'm sorry like that's, that's what my <laughs> husband says as well he's like oh god I really tried and but he I was like you were in the middle of trying to make a rock and roll band it's like yeah. I think you can get away with it but yeah I did pretty well with my GCSEs even though I was more focused on my music and listening to that and being angsty teenager it's like have you seen Daria yeah. the cartoon yeah I was practically her right. at school okay and um I went to go and do sixth form um after I finished because obviously my grades were good enough luckily my mum and sister are both teachers as well so they were encouraging my right. sister was worked very hard she was academic as well but she put a lot more work in than I did I became a lot more angsty yeah and focused on life around school and growing up and with my friends and so you, you felt a connection to the people at school I that did you was, was with yeah I did and it was an again the sort of affinity you find with a group that listens to music that's similar to you and you have a sense of belonging. And I think that's really important. And I think that, that you know, if we're talking, what, what sort of time scale, what were you So I started talking? school in 2001. Right, so I guess at that point, it's quite easy to, to find like-minded mm. people that are into alternative music because it's it become quite mainstream to a degree, didn't it? It, it had, you know, well, obviously... They weren't my perf uh, personal preference, but bands like Linkin Park had obviously yeah. crossed over a little bit mm. into the mainstream. Um, so there was that more of an alternative vibe had started coming through, and that's why indie music suddenly mm. blew 
up during the mid 2000s obviously just before I finished my GCSEs it was um, when sort of Arctic Monkeys came on the scene and all those bands yeah, that was all the K's right yeah Kiers, Kaisers Kasabian absolutely Clactons <laughs> yeah, it's all the K's and I feel that it was you I feel that there were more defined groups of music yeah. I think you used to have to actively seek out music a lot more than you do now because we've got everything at our fingertips we've all got a smartphone we've all got the internet we can all listen to radio or most of us have tv channels which have a music mm -hmm. channel we didn't have that back then yeah i had the very basics i think my mum had ntl at one point like a basic cable package where we got the box and i think sometimes mtv flipped over onto mtv2 which meant that you had these odd nuggets yeah. of music. So it was all about word of mouth yeah. and talking about what we listen to. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm into Nirvana too. I've heard this song. It's really good. Yeah. And they go, have you heard this band? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And obviously Foo Fighters were yeah. really starting to flourish around that time as well. Mm. So for me, it was all about, yeah, sort of carving myself into that more alternative scene. It was like with style as well. Obviously, I was never really massively like emo or goth or grebo or anything like that um but i just didn't wear what obviously a lot of the sort of teeny boppers and the popular people wore you see to, to go sort of to top and tail that i think you know for me, me going to school and, and and college in what i started college in 90 no, 89 mm. and so there was Everything was quite mainstream. Acid House had dropped, yeah. and the baggy movement had dropped, and hip hop had dropped, and it was quite a crazy time. Nineties was an amazing and, time for uh, music. And at that specific point, this was pre sort of grunge. So yeah. you know, we're talking Rosie's, Della Soul, and and you know, every kind of variant of of, of Acid House and 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 Soul to Soul. It had all come at one point, and. So there wasn't really an alternative at that point. There was mm. a couple of kids I remember that would add quiffs and were, 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 were Smiths freaks, <laughs> and and I was thinking, oh, I like that look. I'm a bit of that. And uh, but I think there wasn't like I think post maybe Nirvana. Mm. I think it was probably easy if you was a little bit alternative because there'd be more people at your college or your school that yeah. were into that because of the explosion of it. And I now wonder, to, to, to tell end this conversation, is where are we at now? Are there alternative kids out there in schools and colleges? I wonder because I think, for me, if I look at youth cultures, predominantly, you you, you know, you could walk through... A college, and you'd be like, right, there's your indie kids over mm -hmm. there, you know, and there's your whatever you want to call them, grungers, emo kids, you know, and there's your kind of whatever I'm not trendy kids, whatever you tiny kids, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you know best to describe them as, but for me, when I see people in, in clubs and stuff like that, now, but I suppose to put this in perspective, I'm 45, so you know, I, I shouldn't be knowing these things, you know what I mean, but. It looks like a kind of a universal sort of top shop window, mm. and and I just wonder. A, apart from metalers, metalers still hardcore. You know yeah. they wear their colours on their sleeve, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I just think, but I feel exactly the same, and I say this a lot to my mum and uh, my partner about how when we see big groups of kids together, you can't really define any of them. Yeah. 
And whilst obviously maybe that's good, maybe that's what they want, they don't really want... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Stand out. I think it's kind of sad. It's like, again, I feel that you wear your sort of love and personality on the outside as well with what you wear. There might be a little bit of edginess or something that you can pinpoint a little bit of what you fall into with culture. And obviously, again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I feel now because we do have everything at our fingertips, people don't necessarily seek out stuff. They just have what's given to them. So you pinpoint so it might be like oh, okay I like this Royal Blood song but then I also really like this Pharrell song yeah because it's just what's delivered to you yeah there and then or it's what's played in an advert and what's trending Shazam it so you listen to that you like the single yeah. but you don't necessarily then go and delve into the rest of the album yeah. or bands that are similar yeah but I feel that there's a slight change in it again I think people are starting to look to more alternative radio shows like a little bit like the one I do on Boogaloo Radio where every band I play has to have at least one woman in the band so I have to actively seek out and I love that mm-hmm. so it reminds me of when I was a kid trying to find music that was similar to what yeah. I was into but I wanted to find something different or maybe what other people weren't listening to or what talent was out there and I just feel that I wouldn't say it's laziness but I just feel that there's the effort doesn't have to be put in anymore to go and try and seek out these bands you kind of just it's there if you want to yeah but i don't think it it happens no i think you just put on a bit of a spotify shuffle or something of what you're into and i think that's reflective in how people look yeah i completely agree and you know i take comfort in looking back over 15 years of shit haircuts and bad Mm. fashion choices but you know that's that's because like i kind of when you're young, you want to make a little statement about who you exactly. are and what you're wearing. And, and, and I guess... Well, you can see because fashion has recycled itself yeah. again now. We're going through an era where we're um, cherry-picking from other things. Yeah. So you see a lot of that 90s fashion yeah, has massively. come back in. Massively. And it's because there isn't really that individuality anymore, I yeah. don't think. Which I always feels 
feel is a little bit of a shame because that to me as a kid was always really important. It's like I liked that I was listening to something different to what other people were and if they didn't know about it. And I'm still like that now yeah. with my show. If I can bring a new band out that I know not many people have heard, I'm like, yeah. that's awesome. I yeah. love that. It feels like a little precious nugget yeah, yeah, and a bit totally. of a rebellion against the mainstream stuff. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to track four. And, uh, <laughs> and that's the first record that you bought. Yeah, with my own money, yeah. and it's Weetus with Teenage Dirtbag. Um, I went through a phase of why, being... Why did, why did you laugh at that? Because I went through a phase of being embarrassed by this, but now I completely embrace it yeah. again, because when you drop this in a DJ set, people go nuts. Completely. And, yeah, don't they? Yeah. And it was a real one-hit wonder for the band. I did have the album yeah. with their little cover of Erasure on there yeah. with respect. It was pretty good. It was a fairly nifty album. A lot of people say this was when <laughs> pop punk died. Yeah. It was at the hands of Wheaters and Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah. And, you know, there is nothing about it that is, like, it's not a sort of, you're not going to listen to it and be like, oh, my God, I'm having a really transcendent experience yeah, listening yeah. to this song. I think you summed it up using the word nifty. That's amazing. <laughs> I've not heard that word for about 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's, it's nifty. It, it's, it's straight to the point, isn't it, with it? It's got yeah. a good riff. It's got a good chorus. And it's a catchy lyrics. Pop song. I still remember the lyrics to this day. Yeah. And the fact that um, he sings the female vocal part as well, which I just absolutely love well, when I found like, it out. Was you like me? Because I remember seeing the video and presuming it was the girl, what, what was the beautiful um, I think Mi it was Amira Savino Mila, or, oh. or someone like that. I think and I remember him. thinking, I she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And thinking, oh my was God. it from American Pie? No, uh, they yeah, were both yeah, in yeah, there, yeah. Was, yeah. And uh, was that pre or? Post American Beauty, I'm not sure. I think it was after. Was it? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I thought it was. Uh, I think it's a cracking little song. And, it is. And, and we still play it every Friday at me me alternative club. And obviously, yeah, fair enough. We didn't play it for about ten years. Because it did become very uncool, yeah, didn't it? Yeah. There was this. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just them as people, or their performance. I don't know. They sort of disappeared off the grid a little bit and then they came back with a new lineup and actually had women in the band as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, they're from Amsterdam. They're Holland, aren't they? I think. Oh, really? I think they might be Dutch. I, I thought they were from America. No, I think they're Dutch. Right. Yeah. So. They actually played in South End about a year ago. They're still going. Uh, yeah. I love that. I love that about <laughs> them. But yeah, it was, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, oh, would it be Spice Girls? I was actually considering, I thought the first single I bought was Peter Andre's Mysterious Girl that I got for my Sorry. sister. Solid choice. as a birthday gift once but then I thought That's no the actually keeps giving I don't know isn't it <laughs> <laughs> um one of my uh, uh radio shows I'm on I won't say which one I'm on but he is the pre main presenter is refusing to have him on they keep trying his PR person keeps trying to push Peter Andre onto his show he's like no right no, not doing that hello I've interrupted the podcast again haven't I sorry it won't take a sec all I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, 
I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go for a story, right? I met Peter Andre, right? And I was bizarrely enough that we're talking radio, I used to run events like mm. I used to run for Club XFM. And uh, and I was going to X one day and and I was in this like sort of we'd gone upstairs to this room and it was I was waiting to go in and see the guy. And obviously in, it's in the Capitol building, so there was all the other stations in there as well. Mm. And I think word got out because when I walked in there was loads of screaming girls outside yeah. and I thought don't think they're here for me like are you I, sure and I, 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 I weren't quite confident enough to go and ask one of them uh, um, and then I thought I know what's going on obviously I knew there's some sort of pop band yeah. in here and I reckon it's maybe around the time he was married to um, Jordan and, and, and around them and I was sitting in this, this, this room and I was like what's the story with the girls I had this guy that was sitting next to me he went Peter Andre's on whatever radio station, Heart or something like that. And I was like, oh, right. And I always just presumed he was a dick, yeah. right? And and when you see his really trying so hard to be nice personality, it, it's got to be flawed. It can't be. And he come out, and I reckon in this room was about nine people, and he come out, bless him, and he, as he was leaving, he just went, oh, good morning, everyone. You, is everyone all right? And then one by one, walked around and shook everyone's hand and asked how they were. And I thought, oh, you lovely man. Oh, that's quite nice. <laughs> yeah. It's good. I think when people know their fame is yeah. from a certain set of people, I yeah. think it's important that you appreciate them. You yeah. know, was, he he made his money from standing under a waterfall singing yeah. Mysterious yeah. Girl. God, I think that was the picture on the cassette tape as well that I went yeah. to buy my sister. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've obviously watched it because you recreated the moves there quite well there. Need a camera in here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was the curtains. Oh, the 90s curtains that were very David Beckham. and They were almost gelled down, they weren't were... they? They were so shit. Crispy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no well, naked guess... flames anywhere near them. I guess if he was in a waterfall, he needed to keep his yeah. hairdo pretty yeah. solid, didn't he? He was oiled up to the max, <laughs> wasn't he? He was. <laughs> Someone on the side just like, bring more Johnsons and Johnsons <laughs> yeah. over. More baby oil for Peter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought about it, and a lot of those singles and that I bought back then were actually it was my mum buying them, yeah. and I had to think what song did I actively buy with my own money that I'd either earned through pocket money or someone had given me for my birthday. And it was in Woolworths in Bishop Stortford when it still was there. Rest in peace, Woolworths. Yeah, because that was a great store, wasn't it? it had such a, it had everything you needed. At your well, when they went when they went online, because I think well, I don't know if they still are, but when they shut all the shops, mm. they tried to kind of relaunch Woolworths. com. <laughs> it's like yeah, we've got Amazon for that now. And like yeah, <laughs> but they my mate who was in the in betweens, they asked him to do like um, an advert for it, yeah. and he haggled this deal that he would only do it if he could have free. Pick a mix whenever he wanted it because they had, used to have elaborate pick a mix, yeah, didn't it? It was amazing, that's where you go. And uh, and so that was part of like their advertising thing that you could get this like pick a mix delivered. So to this day, if it's still existing, he can just go get me like three pound of cola bottles, please deliver to my front door. <laughs> that's the life, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you've Payment made it then. <laughs> cola bottle crack, <laughs> but that's I mean, let's have it right. If you're like eight and you think, well, where would I like to be in like you know. 15 years, 
just getting paid with sweets. It's true, though, isn't Dream it? Dream job, right? You know, when you see those things, oh, it's a lifetime supply of this. I used to think it yeah. actually meant a lifetime supply, mm. not just like a big bundle. Yeah. I was like, oh, how do they do that? Yeah. How do they keep that going for the rest of your life? Do they just find out where you move to? And my yeah. mum's like, no, it's, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I wish it did, though. That'd be awesome. Uh, but yeah, Wheatus Teenage Dirtbag. Again, I think it was where I was still... I knew I was into rock music. I'd experienced things like Nirvana, but I didn't really hear anything mm-hmm. that involved rock that was mainstream. And like I said earlier, my mum had a little NTL cable box that we had when we first moved down here. Because it came out in around 2000, which is yeah. when we first moved to sort of East Anglia way. And... It came on the box and I was just like, oh, this is great. I'm hearing a bit of guitar music. Yeah. It had a great little video. The fact that they censored it where it's, uh, what was it, saying boyfriend's a dick and yeah. he brings a gun to school. And obviously yeah. they censored those two lines. I was like, oh, yeah. it's a bit naughty. Yeah. You know, it's got those uh, parental guidance and stickers on. I was like, oh, I feel a bit rebellious with it. And maybe that's that kind of um, upbringing of pop that, that filtered through as well. Because he's... Yeah. It's a pop gem, isn't it? It is. And I think a lot of pop punk utilised on that. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're thrashing out guitars and writing our own music so yeah. we can be seen as cool enough for this group of yeah. people that only want to listen to rock and yeah. indie. But then also we are creating these like pop bangers that are going to be caught in your brain. Same with like Blink-182, yeah. um, Sum 41, all came around that sort of time yeah. as well. And they played on that and they yeah. monetized it. And it was a smart move. And, and obviously Green well. Day as well, obviously yeah. just went slightly poppier again. And it was a, a time when there was all manner of American, almost teen college films again. The American yes. Pie franchise Flourished. Lo- mm. loads more, didn't it? Yeah. Of, of, of sort of variants of, of, of that sort of thing, and uh, and they were always soundtracked by yeah. that kind of you know glossy pop. It was like I think um, whole celebrity skin was used in the first American Pie yeah. movie, which was amazing. Because again, yeah. for me, when I first got to see that film, you know, again, it's sort of when you're around yeah. at a friend's house and yeah. you managed to get a bit of a copy of it when yeah. you know you probably shouldn't watch it at home. Even though my mum was always very good with movies, she didn't really care if I was yeah. watching stuff that was too old for me. She was never strict on that because she understood that I knew it was fake. Yeah. And when this came on, I was like, wow, I love this. And it just made me want to be in American high school. And obviously yeah. I was obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer at yeah. that time as well where there was... Um, it was prolific and it was yeah. known for being this kind of rock and pop punk stuff when yeah. they had the bronze yeah. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I absolutely loved that. So yeah. American shows and um, films were really what brought that over here, yeah. that kind of music. Yeah, and I think a lot of people still really appreciate yeah. that because, again, drop it, those kind of tunes on in a DJ set. They get gets out of jail everyone, free cards. Yeah, absolutely. gets everyone moving. But so let's move it forward a couple of years to um, going out and, and dancing and going clubbing, and uh, and so for track five, uh, right? If you can tell me the song that soundtracked your years of clubbing. See, I wasn't really through the clubland years. I was more through the new rave. Yeah. Uh, vibes that were coming around, like we said earlier, klaxons. But the song that really struck me was CSS and Let's Make Love and Listen to Death from Above. One of the greatest song titles ever. Which is absolutely phenomenal. So obviously they're this Brazilian band that just burst onto the scene with this tune. And it was, again, it felt like we were okay to dance to it because it was indie enough. Pure disco. 
but then it was had this real disco influence that all the new rave bands yeah. had. And there was this huge like surge of them through the 2000s. Mm. And I think this was released in about 2006. So I would have been about 16 or was it a bit young, a bit earlier, I'm not sure. So again, this is where we were sometimes moving away from the square in Harlow. Because again, this is where I spent all my teenage years. We'd been sort of drinking outside because there was this one shop in Harlow that just served any of us, even mm. though they clearly knew we were underage. And we had a little Lambrini bottles because it's what we could afford Fantastic. at the time. And then we managed to get into places like Liquid mm-hmm. that were still around at that time. They had an indie room. So it's just it meant- like your kind of textbook sort of tan club. Yeah, yeah. it was. And so obviously they had all the typical sort of club things and you were lucky if you got in. Again, I used to think that we looked so grown up when we were... 15, 16, and it's only when I see kids now, I'm like, whoa, yeah. not at all. And they obviously, girls nowadays have a lot more elaborate makeup yeah. as well because it's become quite a trend with the sort of Kardashians with the eyebrows mm-hmm. and the bold eye makeup. We didn't have any of that, yeah. but we still thought that we felt really grown up when we're in these like dresses and boots and looking really edgy. And to be honest, I think they just let us in. So, like, they knew it was safer for us in there than on the streets of Harlow, which, to be honest, I agree with. I think I really do appreciate that when they used to let us Mm -hmm. in there. They're much stricter now, and I don't think liquid's even around anymore. Like, the square isn't. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And it used to thrive because of having these cultural lifelines. And that's what depresses me so much, especially under sort of Tory cuts. I actually did a post the other day about how a third, since they've been in power since 2009, a third of live venues are closed. 16 pubs a week and they're shutting in the UK. And it's really depressing. It's only going to get worse after Brexit as well, but we won't go into that because we don't want to get too political. But at the time, in lower socioeconomic areas like Harlow, this gave them an outlet and something that connected them to bigger towns or London when people came in to play these areas or we all got together and danced it was important that you had that sort of community in them the the square for me was obviously living in Essex as well and you know our our local Mm. towns were you know you'd play Chinneries in in Southend or you'd play the Pink Toothbrush in Rayleigh and your next one along would be you played a square and I've seen some incredible bands in the square I, th- I remember seeing, um, I don't know if you remember, I Am Clute. Yes. And I saw I Am Clute at the square, and it was one of the greatest shows I'd, I've ever seen. And I tell you, I saw, can you remember that band called Dead Kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, that was one of the most aggressive things I've ever seen live. And I, I saw that at the square. Like, it was it, a cracking venue. It was. It was so punk. And it's, you know, I spent my teenage years there. Um, like I said, my story earlier, I had heartbreak there. I met my husband there. Yeah, I'd oh, you seen met him. Billy at yeah, I'd seen. Well, I'd seen him play. Obviously, when I was younger, my sister had snuck me in to go and see her friend's band play. But we sort of really became friends uh, when we were at a gig. I think it was Mohair, was the band that were playing. That's really stretching my memory. And um, obviously, we became really close from there. So it had. Um, quite a profound effect on me like when they said it was going to be closed and obviously we had the hope when it reopened um, under our friends who brought it back again under Circle One and then it was torn down again and I think it's I just remember there was a real sort of security and family there and I think places like Harlow 
where people don't have much money and they don't have much to do and you know the schools at the time were really quite run down they needed these places to be able to sort of communicate and it's, bond it's... with other people instead of getting into trouble and that's what places like liquid did even though it was known as being a little bit rough it was a little bit dancey it had a real mix of people in there. You still had the indie rooms where we were going in and sort of as soon as that certain bit in um, the CSS song sort of dropped where it really went quite bassy. And we all loved it. And you actually became friends with people that you'd usually sort of try and ignore when you're walking on the streets. Like, I know this chavs is a hard word, but like a horrible word to say. Mm. But, but you know just... that they weren't the people that be at the square. Yeah. Whereas places like this, then it's like, oh, we're kind of dancing to this too, and I think yeah. it it got rid of that barrier of thinking that there's someone not to spend time with, and this, these gangs and sort of separation. It's really interesting that you say that because uh, my, my my club in Essex, uh, the, the Pink Toothbrush, I've seen that. You know, I've been there 20, 28 years now, and I've, I've seen that go through all of the, the major mm. alternative scenes. And to go back to what we were saying about a sort of united coloured. Top shop, yeah, kind of that 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 has, has has had an effect there, and to the point where you know people are like, oh yeah, but they're not toothbrush people that are coming in here, and it's like, well, time evolves, you know. Mm. What I mean, you know, scenes evolve, and and for me, you know, we've never had a dress policy or anything like that. You know, the more experimental and outrageous, that's yeah. what we want, and. And when someone comes in in a pair of shoes and some trousers and, and a nice shirt, it's not for us to go, I don't think you're really going to like it in here, mm. mate. Because I don't know that that guy's not obsessed with Tom Waits. And, yeah. you know, do you know what I mean? And, and the bottom line is, I think I like the fact that different people can hang out there. And for me, just because you may not look like someone who's, you know, the, perceived as being alternative, mm. when you come in that, that venue, you've got two options, right? You can either enjoy it and get on with everyone in there, mm. or you can be a dick and go, look at the state of them, look at this music shit, blah, blah. Then fuck off, yeah, and absolutely. you're not welcome. But if you come in and you like it... And you experience and it, and you get to know new people... It's amazing. And new music. Yeah. I think that's so important. And you can't put an elitist angle on that. Yeah. You can't kind of go like, well, yeah, you know, you, haven't, you don't know the 12 tracks by The Cure, so you can't come in. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like... A snobbery to music. Absolutely. Because that reflects both ways, you know. You know and... It does. And, you know, I saw a video the other day of a teenage girl that was wearing a Nirvana T-shirt and someone was playing in Bloom and going, do you know who played this song? And they were, like, shaming her because she was wearing a T-shirt of a yeah. band she knew. It's like, well, instead of filming it and taking the piss out of her, maybe actually go oh, do you know much about this band? And educate them on it. And then you have no idea. You've probably created yeah. this new music fan, set them on a path. But instead, this video went viral and I saw people sharing it. And I was like, that's really depressing that we're doing that because you're going to get to a point where kids won't want to look into new bands because yeah. they're ashamed of that they won't be listening to the right thing or their knowledge of the band won't be good yeah. enough. And it's like, you know... A lot of the bands that I listened to were around before I was born, yeah. so I had to learn about it some way. There was going to be points where I only knew one or two tracks, but it didn't mean that I didn't, I shouldn't like them, or I shouldn't be allowed to like them. I mean? Exactly. She needed an uncle with a knackered up cassette of Nevermind, didn't she? I know, needed me there and I could pass it on, exactly. hand it over. Exactly. All right, so for your next track, I've asked you to pick your favourite <laughs> song from your hometown. 
Yes. So you've gone back up north for this one, haven't you? Yeah, Midlands Way. And I've chosen Black Sabbath with Paranoid. I mean, that, that's, that's got a good intro, right? I know. It's incredible. And again, a lot of these tracks I feel that I could have possibly used for my best intro as well. Yeah. But there's a reason I chose this. It's because people from Birmingham are very proud that Black Sabbath came from Brown. Yeah. And I was really torn. I nearly chose Come On Eileen by Dex's Midnight Runners. Right. And so that's a, it'd be Paranoid or them. What is Kevin Rowland from Birmingham? They're like, they've formed in Birmingham, Dex's Midnight Runners. I did not know they that. They do. They count as a Brummie band. So wow. I know, which is great. Because I think they've got Irish roots, but yeah. they formed in Birmingham. Wow. Yeah. So I was very close to using that. But I thought, you think of Birmingham, you think of Black Sabbath. Or obviously Duran Duran. You'd UB40, yeah. I think my mum was like, didn't Wizard come from? I was like, yeah, I'm not doing Wizard, mum. But um, my parents had the Paramore, I don't know why that's coming to my head, Paranoid um, LP. Right. And so I used to obviously rummage through it. And when they realised I was starting to get a little bit more into rock and roll, um, like my mum was like, oh, I still got this I think it originally belonged to my dad because he was at Aston University and obviously um, Aston was all around the uh, the area that Black Sabbath Mm -hmm. were formed you know he uh, Tony Iommi was working in a sort of sheet metal thing in Aston uh, where he had the top of his fingertips chopped off so it meant that he had to play guitar differently and that's why they've got such a distinctive sound and so I had to put this in because obviously I'd heard War Pigs because it's the first track on the album. Mm-hmm. But my mum, I knew, loved Paranoid. And she was like, go to track two, go to track two. So obviously, again, sort of moving the needle up. I yeah. really remember the sort of physical motion of getting to use a vinyl for the first time. Because obviously it was quite delicate. And yeah. my mum always wanted me to be careful with it. And placing it, learning about the grooves on the vinyl. Oh, that's wonderful. To be able to place it on. Yeah. And it was through Black Sabbath's Paranoid vinyl yeah. that I learned how to do this and how to yeah. use it and how to see which track I needed to get to with the rings, yeah. which was absolutely wonderful. And it was Paranoid that did that. And when it kicks in, and again, it's such a short, sharp track but it still packs a real punch. And I think, what was it? They said that they didn't have enough music for the album. And so, like, Iomi just tried to write this riff in, like, a couple of minutes. Oh, and that's paranoid? Yeah. Serious? And they came back and they were like, oh, yeah, and that's how it developed. Shit. Just because they needed to fill the album. The album was originally going to be called War Pigs, but then they changed it to Paranoid because of that. So, Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what, it's like, I I guess a lot of younger people may... Just know Ozzy for being the crazy guy married yeah. to Sharon Osbourne and that or, were on the Osbournes. That were on the Osbournes, and... but I mean, obviously, Sabbath for an incredible band. But you forget, you know, if you put Paranoid on, you forget just how distinct mm. and incredible his voice is. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Really packs a punch. I remember when I first heard it, I was like, "What the fuck is this? Yeah. This is great." Yeah, you know that real sort of seventies yeah. rock of the time. Well, they were the people that really sort of coined metal. Yeah, they sort definitely. of the early, um, early definition of it. I really guess would be Black Sabbath when yeah. you try and sort of define the roots of metal. 
And it was just fantastic. Like, lyrically as well, they had a lot of fun with their songs, um, including with tracks like War Pigs as well, which ended up becoming, like, this anti-Vietnam mm-hmm. epic, which I love, even though I don't think it was meant to be that originally, but I'm not sure. Faith No More done a great cover of it as well. Oh, really? Mm. I don't think I've heard that version. It's mega. I'll check it out when we go mega. later. But it still reminds me of my mum showing to me going, yeah, it's Birmingham band. Yeah. How good is this? That these rockers who yeah. make this incredible sort of racket came from... Brum. Brum. And they were Fantastic. Brummies. And I love it. And every time you sort of hear them sort of talk in old interviews you listen back to when they're saying about writing the songs, it just... I hark back to this. Yeah. Or when you hear them speaking on stage or when they play back in Brum, which they did not that long ago... It's just wonderful. I love it with yeah. the Brummie accent because so many people have a real stereotyped opinion yeah. of people from Birmingham. Yeah. And again, obviously, I don't really have my accent, but I fall back into it when I'm talking to people like my mum or yeah. if I'm back there or sometimes I still... Your mum's still got a strong... Fairly strong. Yeah. Obviously, it's toned down a little bit, but when people yeah. hear her from here, they're like, whoa, she sounds really Brummie. Yeah. It's like, wait till she's talking to someone else from Brum. Yeah. And... It still comes out sometimes. I still say bath instead of bath, and it comes out a little confused yeah. when I'm on the radio when I'm talking. And also when I'm getting quite passionate about stuff or if I'm angry with someone, it comes out quite brummy. And I just loved it that there was no sort of people didn't frown upon them for being from Birmingham because people seem to have this idea that it's like people are stupid from mm-hmm. there and with the accent. And instead, they just got this huge respect because they were this mega band that made incredible yeah. music. And it's a real asset to Birmingham and how people view it as a cultural hub. Because it's an amazing place, you know. It's somewhere back in the day where it was had, had so many people with like mixed races and different backgrounds. You know, my one of one of my uncles, not the one who gave me the album uh, with Nevermind, but another one. He was adopted and he was Pakistani at the time so obviously in the 60s when my grandparents adopted him hmm. there was like this real thing of like oh but he's got like a brown face but that wasn't yeah. an issue in Birmingham yeah. it was just everyone mixed with each other Yeah, and I love it I love it it's a cultural hub and it still is to this day so me and Pip do a club night at the Heron mm. Hands wow. and uh, up there and it's it's amazing yeah. you know the, it, and you, you look at their roster of events there and it's it's ahead of anything that we've got around mm. in in East London. You know, when you, you think East London's going to be on the money with their, their events and things like that, you look up there at the, the, the crossover of of genres and stuff mm. like that goes on in this, this venue, The Hair and Hands, which I believe was the stomping ground for, for UB40 when they first mm. broke through in the sort of very, uh, very early 80s. And, uh, and, yeah, I just think I've always had a... Big love for, for Birmingham. We've always when we when we set the night up, it was like right, where are we going to go outside of London? And it was like Bristol, mm. Birmingham, and uh, and where's the other one we do? Brighton. I think right. again the fact that it's slightly away from the bubble we have here with money, because obviously it's slightly cheaper. Mm-hmm. I think it's more expensive to live there now uh, than it used to be. I think that really helps it because, again, when people don't have as much money, I feel there's not as much of a snobbery about the music that people want to listen to and people try and carve their own way with what music they're creating because you don't feel you have to stick to a certain genre to make it in London. 
And it's like we just see it with Sheffield as well yeah. when they had that burst of bands come out and they all were proud of their accent mm. and that became part of them. Whereas I feel a he lot. He don't of... sing like that anymore, though. No, no does oh, he? don't get me started on that. <laughs> Jesus. All right, Josh Homme version 2.0. Like, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Hmm. All I right. Think... Yeah. So, but I just that's what I love about it. I think people don't feel that they have to stick to a certain vibe to make it in some yeah. of these areas, unlike London, which unfortunately, I think there is still a vibe of being trendy. Here. Definitely, mm. definitely. That's undeniable. Well, for track seven, this is a good opportunity for you because you like to play music on your radio show. I do. Uh, new music and music that features women. Yeah. So for track seven, I ask our guests to pick a song that our listeners may not know that you would like them to hear. So what have you gone for, right? I've chosen Nova Twins with a song called Lose Your Head, which is their most recent single. Mm -hmm. And these are two young women of colour that are completely carving a new genre for themselves. And they're doing sort of, it's considered grime punk, which is just absolutely amazing because, you know, unfortunately the area of music that we are in, that I'm very much passionate about involved in still is very heavy with men and it's particularly heavy with white people so obviously there may be women in the industry but they're usually white mm -hmm. and so when you see these two girls I think it's Georgia and Amy that are from South London way that have come out and they say that people they go to venues and people think they're going to play R&B because of the fact that they're mixed race and they just assume these two women are going to start doing like Beyonce kind of music. Then they're there with a bass and um, like guitar and it's just the two of them with the drummer they bring in and the noise they make, people are like, what have I just experienced? Mm. And I hadn't heard anything like this. When I first found this band to play on my show... Um, I found it because I was looking for smaller festivals because they tend to have more women on the bill. And I think it's because they feel that they're not having to take a risk, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, it's like, as Brody Dahl said, like, I don't play guitar with my vagina, so what does it matter mm -hmm. if I'm a woman or not? And I came across Nova Twins, and I was like, oh, I haven't heard of them before. Look them up, listen to their music. The first song I heard of theirs was a song called Baseline Bitch. And it's like, it's a protest song in its own right where they're just trying to be like anti-everything. But it's also addictive. And when you find something you haven't heard before, it's the experience is just, it's profound. And when I can find something like that, that I've never really heard anything like that, and the fact they're doing it, they're proud of it, they're trying to smash expectations of them, they're stuck with the sort of stereotypes and prejudices not only of being women but also women of colour in the industry and that they're still coming out and really kicking ass and making music like this it's a band you need to support it's so important sort of culturally and socially as well to sort of help buy tickets come to their gigs and don't just do it because you want to be like the token helper it's because they make amazing music mm. it will literally blow your mind when you hear it because you don't know what you're expecting at first it's like oh okay yeah i can see the sort of grime 
rap element coming in and then suddenly it goes really heavy and it's really punky and they're just turning the genre on its head and I just have so much love for them for doing that and I'm hoping to get them on my show on Boogaloo Radio soon actually we've been talking back and forth because I think they really appreciated the fact I was there pushing because it's so easy in our music to just find the local bands that um unfortunately have been pushed like Goat Girl who are fantastic but again they're all white Mm. and you have to make a conscious effort to be an intersectional sort of feminist with this kind of stuff you can't just be like oh but I'm just playing women so it's fine I'm Mm. doing enough you're not doing enough you have to play people from ethnic backgrounds you have to play people who are queer or trans there's a band called um, Colour Me Wednesday which I had in who they define themselves as a queer group and they don't want Uh, often sort of the non-binary aspect is very important to them when they play their gigs they want people to be diverse and inclusive so they say when they go to their venues they want to the toilets must be able to be used by whoever because you can't just be like oh this is for boys this is for girls because there are people that don't necessarily fit into those specific genres Mm -hmm. and it's the same with Nova Twins they say that they want people to come to their gigs and be stood next to someone who's really into rap and then someone with a nose ring that's really into punk. And they want a mixture of faces and people there that feel that they've got a safe space to be able to enjoy in different types of music. And I feel them doing this crossover is really bridging that gap. And it's absolutely fantastic. Massively. You know, I was born of an age where, you know, initially, I suppose, I guess I would have been about 10 or 11 when... Walk this way, come out. Mm-hmm. I remember that, like that, that kind of crossover. But then to hear that Public Enemy were going on tour with Anthrax, yeah. I mean that. I mean that must have been what eighty nine, maybe ninety. How insane is that? I know. Like Public Enemy and Anthrax going on tour together, it was like. But that's the thing. They became the sort of new version, rap and um, grime became the new version of punk. Yeah. It was DIY, it was underground, it was people who were shoved to the margins who were then saying, screw this, mm. you know, we want to come and make people aware of stuff. And really that's what the punk ethos should be. It should be smashing through to the mainstream to say, look, we're here, yeah. you need to listen to us. Yeah. And for people who were African-American at the time, rap was really important mm. for that. You know, you just look at, um, obviously, NWA as well, when you see where they were coming from with Compton and mm. you just see how it is now. It's still an issue with sort yeah. of police brutality in America. And so artists and art, it's so important in being that vehicle for mm. people who need a voice mm. and it's a way of getting someone who looks like you on screen or on your radios going wow if they're like that and they're like me and they're saying this I could do this too yeah. and it's so important giving a voice to people who maybe don't have one yeah and that's what you know art does for them and that's why music's so amazing that you can see someone on stage who maybe has a similar background to you or is the same ethnicity or same um, sex or gender and just be like wow, there's someone there speaking for me. Yeah. And I think Nova Twins are doing that for a whole new generation. And I think they're ones like to look out for. Well, I'll be honest, Rob, I don't think anyone's ever given a better reason to listen to their track seven than what you've just <laughs> done there. That was, that was brilliant. Well, that's the playlist complete. So before we, before we uh, sign out of this podcast, 
Where can people hear your show? So it's on Boogaloo Radio, so you can go to boogalooradio.com and listen to Riot Diet Wednesdays 10am till 12pm and then I put the shows on Mixcloud as well. So you can go to, I think it's... Uh, if you just go to Boogaloo Radio's Mixcloud, you can find my playlist of all my shows. You can also find me on Twitter, at Rowena with five A's, because ginger fonts is what I used to say, but I'm not ginger at the moment, so I can't say that. And then also Rowena.Alice on Instagram, and obviously I share all my shows on that platform. Okay, well, if you're cool, we'll tag you in. Yeah, like definitely. Anything. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, go and check out Nova Twins, right? Yeah, definitely. All right, Ro, thanks loads for getting up Thank early you so and much for having this. me here. <laughs> thanks, mate. There you have it. That was it. That's the end. Finished, done, kaput, finito, finalised, done with. Thank you very much, Rowena Alice. Um, she was great. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I did recording it. Thanks once again to the Hoxton Square Barn Kitchen for letting us record there. If you like hearing Ro chatting, she has also recorded an episode of, off the, um, of Hardcore Listing Podcast where she counts down her top five final destination deaths, which was one of our most popular. So that is available also on the Distraction Pieces Network on Acast and iTunes and all of that. Thanks loads once more for listening. Um, Please subscribe, have a little look in the back catalogue if this is one of your first ones you've listened to. And, yeah, let us know what you feel. Um, tweet in, Facebook me, Instagram me, whatever. Um, yeah, love to get your thoughts on, on the podcast. Thanks once more. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Hey, 